The Toronto Blue Jays are off today, but it is Throwback Thursday, and today we're going to deep dive some good, some bad, and some ugly Throwback Thursday style from Toronto Blue Jay trade deadlines of the past. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays. First season as the host of the Locked On Blue Jay podcast, but in my own life, been locked on Toronto Blue Jay baseball ever since I could remember. Blue Jay baseball, big deal for me. It's a big deal for my family as well. So I do appreciate you taking some time each day to talk Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. The Locked On Blue Jay podcast, of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Reminder that all the Blue Jay action this season is available for you on SiriusXM. And when I say, you know, to tune in every day to talk Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. I'm very proud of that fact that the Lockdown Blue Jay podcast is the only daily Blue Jay podcast there is. So yes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday each week. Stop by for some Toronto Blue Jay talk. Now, speaking of Friday this week, I'm in particular excited because we're going to have Jay Jackson, friend of the Locked On Blue Jay podcast, Jay Jackson, back on back in the house on Friday. We're talking Jay Jackson. We're talking Blue Jay baseball. And Jay Jackson's going to give us some insight about what it's like for major leaguers this time of the year, right? What's it like to be a major leaguer during the trade deadline as the trade deadline approaches? Going to be an awesome conversation. Hope you'll tune in for that. To the everydayers making the Locked On Blue Jay podcast your first podcast listen every day. Want to say hello and thank you for that. Hit that five-star rating and leave that comment, please, and thank you. And if you're taking in today's episode on the Locked On Blue Jay YouTube page, want to thank you for that. Hello as well. Please hit that like, leave that comment, hit that subscribe. Want to shout out DB1919, new subscribers. We're now over 600 subscribers of the Locked On Blue Jay podcast YouTube page. Thank you so much for that. Now, on this Throwback Thursday, let's get into some good, some bad, and some ugly from Toronto Blue Jay trade deadlines in the past, starting with, of course, the good, right? Well, let's start with, in fact, not only good, but the most recent Toronto Blue Jay trade deadline, mere months ago, 2022, Max Castillo and Samad Taylor moved from the Toronto Blue Jays to the Kansas City Royals for Whit Merrifield. Now, Shapiro and Atkins, throughout the regime, my goodness, they have tried a thousand guys to come in and be, you know, like a poor man's version for them of Whit Merrifield, somebody who's who's who can be that veteran presence, but who you can plug in anywhere defensively, and they're going to be solid for you. They're not going to embarrass themselves out there. They're going to be good for you defensively and offensively, going to have those good at-bats, those professional at-bats, not going to play the pitcher's little reindeer games, not going to expand strike zone, going to be good at situational hitting, and dare I even say be good on the base pass as well. You know, everything Whit Merrifield brings to the table Shapiro and Atkins really covet that. They've been looking for their own poor man's version of Whit Merrifield ever since they walked in the door. I mean, Darwin Barney, Ryan Gones, uh, Junior Lake, uh, Jimmy Paredes, uh, Andy Burns, Chris Coughlin, uh, uh, um, Rob Riffschneider, uh, Aledmiz Diaz, Gio Urshela, uh, Gift Ngope, Brandon Drury, uh, John Birdie, uh, who are we missing? Uh, um, um, uh, Alec Hansen, Eric Sogard, Bravik Valera, Joe Panic, Kevin Biggio, uh, uh, Gosek, um, Gosek, how do you, I never get his name right, Goseki Kato. I mean, anyway, a laundry list of guys, right, that they've tried to have be the poor man's version for them of Whit Merrifield. Well, last season at the trade deadline, the Toronto Blue Jays bring in the actual Whit Merrifield. Has, has, has he done all right for the Toronto Blue Jays? Has he done all right for the Toronto Blue Jays? Holy moly. An all-star this season, yes, but continues to do exactly what we were just talking about. You can put him anywhere defensively. He's not going to embarrass himself out there. He's going to be a, a contributor defensively. And offensively, 
just solid approach after solid approach, solid at bat after solid at bat, and really good on the base paths. How about back in the uh, 2020 trade deadline? Let's uh, Ross Stripling and Robbie Ray brought in by the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, Robbie Ray would go on to win the Cy Young the very next season, and and the next season after that was last season. Well, if there's one rare thing that the Toronto Blue Jay fan base would all agree on, it's that Ross Stripling was the unsung hero. He was the under-the-radar MVP of the 2022 Toronto Blue Jays, wasn't he? So that 2020 trade deadline, very good for the Toronto Blue Jays. How about the following trade deadline after that one then, 2021? Well, that was Jose Barrios. He's, he's traded for Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson. And a, a lot of debate at the time, did the Blue Jays give up too much for Barrios? What's this trade going to look like going forward? And of course, the debate got even louder because the Blue Jays would then a year early re-up with Jose Barrios. So let's take a look at that. Why is this in the good category? Well, Austin Martin, he's just recently been brought up to AAA. He's dealt with some injuries. Now he's hitting just 175 in AAA. So he's not exactly, I mean, the Blue Jays aren't exactly missing him. And Simeon Woods Richardson has pitched two more games on the big league level so far in his career than you or I have. Yeah, he's only pitched two games on the big league level. Uh, one was back in April and, and one last season as well. So he's not exactly firing up the charts uh, either and, and you know doing things on the big league level. Jose Barrios, on the other hand, now the Blue Jays lost four of Barrios' first five starts, but they've won 41 of the 60 starts that have followed. So 41 and 19 since that rocky start. Heck, even with that rocky start in there, the Blue Jays overall, when Jose Barrios has started for them, 42 and 23. Is that going to work? It's a 646 winning percentage. Uh, put it this way. A 646 winning percentage is a 105-win baseball team. Blue Jays have never won 100 games in their in their franchise history. They're on pace for 105 wins if they can have Jose Barrios out there every single time. I know his own individual performances. There's been some ups and downs. There's no doubt about it. And every day or no, we, we look at Jose Barrios and the ups and downs, you know, pretty regularly here, right? But I mean, winning is the name of the game, right? Wins and losses, that's paramount. All the other chips will fall where they may. Well, when Jose Barrios has been on the mound for the Toronto Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays have won significantly more than they've lost. And how about the that re-up as well? I, I know this is about the trade deadline stuff, but let us I think it's worth mentioning. You know, Barrios making about 17 to $18 million per season. Look at the free agent signings that have come since then. I mean, Robbie Ray is making $23 million on average. He's making, making way more than Jose Barrios. Taiwan Walker... Taiwan Walker, all due respect to Taiwan Walker, over the next three seasons, he's making the same amount of money as Jose Barrios. you got to be kidding me right now. Jamison Tyone, as a free agent this season, signed a contract at, at, as big as Jose Barrios's. How about the Carlos Rodon? How about the Carlos Rodon? He, he makes almost double what Jose Barrios makes. What, what kind of production is he given to the New York Yankees? So just as a side note... That re-up that came under a lot of fire, a lot of criticism last season. It looks like the Blue Jays did a great job with the Jose Barrios trade. Look like the Blue Jays looks like the Blue Jays did a great job with the Jose Barrios re-up as well. How about the 2015 trade deadline? One of the most important trade deadlines in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. That's the trade deadline where they bring in David Price, they bring in Tulo, they bring in Latroy Hawkins, they bring in Mark Lowe, they bring in Ben Revere. Now, Hawkins, Lowe, and Revere, under the radar, they were all really good for the Toronto Blue Jays. Tulo, no, but he's a big-name guy. And, of course, David Price, David Price was incredible. But the reason I say that was such an important trade deadline, 
I, I, especially after the, the David Price trade, when I came to work that next day, people were waiting for me at the front door that work in totally different departments that, that I may see throughout the day. They were making sure they saw me that day because they were so excited. The excitement in the city was downright palpable when the Blue Jays pulled that trigger and brought in David Price. And one of the big reasons between 1993, remember 92 and 93, the Blue Jays are World Series champions. Well, from 93 to 2015, the Blue Jays had the longest playoff drought in North American sports. So between 1993 and 2015, every single NHL team, every single fan base saw their team go to the playoffs at least once. Every single NFL fan base saw their team go to the playoffs at least once. Every single NBA franchise saw their team go to the playoffs at least once. And every single baseball franchise, every single MLB franchise, uh, fan base, sorry, saw their team go to the playoffs. So the Blue Jays had the longest playoff drought in any of all the North American sports. So making the playoffs in 2015, really, really, really big deal. And the trade deadline was as big a reason for that as anything. I mean, David Price down the stretch for the Blue Jays, he goes 9-1, 2.30 ERA. It may be too soon to talk about this. I mean, I'll still have nightmares. You remember game two of that Kansas City series? He was cruising. David Price was cruising up 3 nothing in the bottom of the seventh. And then to lead off the bottom of the seventh, there'd be that easy pop-up that Goins, Ryan Goins and Jose Batista got their signals crossed. It drops in. Floodgates open. The, the Royals would go on to have six hits in that inning, four runs. They would end up chasing Price. They, they took a 4-3 lead and never looked back in that game. And Jose Batista was just livid. I don't know if you remember, but the... Goins was calling it the whole time, the whole way, and all of a sudden pulled up and it just dropped. It was just an absolute stunner. And again, the Blue Jays were cruising at this point, but you could tell the floodgates were about to be open. What do really good teams do? They take advantage when the other teams make mistakes, right? Well, that 2015 Kansas City team was a really good team. You knew they were going to take advantage. The handwriting was on the wall. And as Bautista is going back to his position, he sort of crosses paths with Ryan Goins and Goins asks him, did you call me off there? And Batista wouldn't, I mean, there was steam coming out of Batista's ears. He wouldn't even look at Goins. He just shouted into the ground. Of course not. I mean, Batista was livid with Ryan Goins. He knew, he knew that was a massive play in that series. The Jays, instead of being tied at one all in that series and the Blue Jays being in business, coming back home now in that series, they were down two nothing and they ultimately could never, could never catch him past the Kansas City Royals. Coming up on the Locked on Blue Jay podcast, more deep diving of the good, the bad, and the ugly of previous trade deadlines for the Toronto Blue Jays. And be sure to tune in tomorrow as Jay Jackson is back in the house. I wanted to talk about an exciting new sponsor, Ibotta. Picking up burgers and hot dogs for a summer barbecue? Well, you're doing it already, so why not get cash back with Why not get cash back as well, right? Well, that's Ibotta. It's officially summer and a new season means new clothes. Well, your closet shouldn't be the only thing growing when you make these purchases because now you can watch your cash back grow with each purchase with Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It, it is that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could be the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points, but I mean, they, they don't really uh, amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account. PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta. This includes Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code MLB when you register. Just go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use the code MLB. Ibotta is spelled I-B-O-T-T-A. That's Ibotta. 
I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code MLB. How about the 2016 trade deadline for the Toronto Blue Jays? Because that's 15. What about 16, the very next season? Well, Francisco Liriano gets added to the mix. And in 2016, Francisco Liriano was effective for the Toronto Blue Jays down the stretch. And then the next year's trade deadline, they would trade him to the Houston Astros. And I remember sitting under a tree in a park. I literally could take you to this spot. I was listening to the fan, just constantly waiting for those updates because the rumor was Liriano was traded to the to the Astros for one of the Astros' top 10 prospects. And I really, really, really hoped that the Astros had given up on Teoscar Hernandez, their number nine prospect, and that he was going to be the one coming to the Toronto Blue Jays. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And the rest is history. Teo ends up becoming, you know, one of the more enjoyable Toronto Blue Jays in the in the history of the franchise. Now, those are playoff. Those are playoff to some, some good under the good, bad, ugly. That's some playoff good. What about World Series good? What about the World Series trade deadlines? Well, 1992, Blue Jays would trade Jeff Kent, rookie at that time, to the New York Mets for David Cohn. Now, did the Blue Jays miss out on Jeff Kent? He had a 17-season career. Many, many, many people feel that Jeff Kent should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Many people feel that way. If you're like me and you're a believer that greatness is measured over time, well, Jeff Kent's career spent 17 seasons. He was a 290 career hitter with a 356 on base, on base percentage and an 855 OPS. Over 17 seasons, that seems extremely good to me. That, that seems Hall of Fame worthy to me. Spent several of those seasons protecting Barry Bonds, so had a big job to do for several of those seasons as well. Four times, Jeff Kent finished in top 10 for MVP voting. He won the MVP in the year 2000, by the way, and five times was an all-star. So Blue Jays missed out on an epic career that Jeff Kent had, but would they have traded it? I mean, they did trade that that, that career, but are they happy with that? What was the trade-off for the Blue Jays? Well, David Cohn, in 92, after coming over to the Blue Jays down the stretch, he would go four and three for the Blue Jays. Now, you might say just four and three. It's not a great record, right? But Cohn was really good. He had a 2.55 ERA down the stretch. And David Cohn's biggest moments, the biggest reason why this did pay off for the Toronto Blue Jays, the biggest reason this is in the good category for the Toronto Blue Jays, is the 1992 Blue Jays had 12 playoff games, six in the ALCS, six in the World Series. Well, David Cohn, started four of those 12 playoff games and the Blue Jays would win three of those four starts. He was massively important, massively important to the Toronto Blue Jays. The very next trade deadline, 1993, right-handed pitcher Steve Carse and outfielder Jose Herrera go from the, go from the Blue Jays to the Oakland A's for Ricky Henderson. You know, Carse would spend 11 seasons at the big league level. He wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a, a bum, but I mean, overall, just 32 and 39 career ERA, just a titch over four. Had some saves in there as well. Again, you know, 11 seasons on the big league level, he had some production, not for the Oakland A's. He went just eight and 16 with an ERA, just a smidge under five for the Oakland A's. And how about Ricky Henderson for the Toronto Blue Jays? Every dayers will know we've deep dived Ricky Henderson in on previous throwback Thursdays about what he meant to the 93 Toronto Blue Jays. And it's important, I think, that we do that because on the surface, you know, including playoffs, Ricky Henderson hit 205 for the Toronto Blue Jays. So on the surface, you're going to be very, very underwhelmed if you're just looking at the numbers. But when you dig deeper, that was a 343 on base percentage in those in those 56 games. Ricky Henderson did what he did, did what he does. He got on base. And once he was on base, he wreaked havoc. 29 stolen base attempts, 25 were successful. So in those 56 games, 25 steals 
And in those 56 games, 44 walks. So sure, only 43 hits, but 44 walks. That's where the good on base percentage 343 comes from. And in those 56 games, like I said, Ricky did what Ricky did. He scored, he scored a, a 47 runs, a 47 runs in those 56 games. In 36 of those 56 games, Ricky Henderson scored at least one run. I'll say that again. 36 of those 56 games, including playoffs, including World Series, Ricky Henderson scored at least one run for the Blue Jays. All told in those 56 games, 47 runs for the Toronto Blue Jays. And every day, as you remember the throwback Thursday a few weeks back when we looked at that epic ninth inning in game six of the 93 World Series, the touch them all, Joe, you'll never hit a bigger home run in your life World Series. Ricky Henderson orchestrates that whole thing. Ricky Henderson gets that entire thing started. If you remember Mitch Williams, he would get the sign and then he would come tucked and then he he would pitch. And, and the next time he was looking at home plate was when he was about to release it. He would get the sign and then tuck in. Now he's so he's a lefty. He's facing first base. Ricky Henderson knows this. So on the very first pitch of that bottom of the ninth inning, that fateful bottom of the ninth inning, that historic bottom of the ninth inning, Ricky Henderson's leading it off. Sees Mitch Williams looking, get the sign. As soon as Mitch Williams turns to tuck, Ricky Henderson calls time and he bolts. The catcher, Darren Dalton, bolts. The umpire bolts. They're all out of there. None of them are even on the TV screen anymore because they know the next time Mitch Williams looks up, he's going to be able to deliver. It's going to be 96-97. And, and at the best of times, Mitch Williams doesn't know where that ball is going, let alone when he finally looks up and is about to release and see the time has been called. Like, I mean, all heck is about to break loose. He would actually try to stop his momentum, and, and he was going so hard with his momentum, he would helicopter on the mound. It was just insane. Ricky Henderson was in this guy's head right away. After the second pitch of that at-bat, the catcher, Darren Dalton, had to go out and talk to Mitch Williams, had to calm him down. Have you ever seen that before in your life? Two pitches into a closer appearance, and the and the catcher has to go out and, and calm things down, right the ship? Wow. Remember when you were growing up, you're playing with your friends, Little League, whatever it is, you had a 3-0 and count. You would take the bat when the pitcher was winding up for the for the fourth pitch. You would take the bat, you would turn the bunt, you would just wag waggle the bunt, right? Just trying to, to distract the pitcher, get that ball four. Ricky Henderson knew he was in Mitch Williams' head. He knew he had already won that at bat. On the 2-0 pitch, Ricky Henderson was doing those little reindeer games, goofing around, wasn't even ready to hit, was goofing around with the, with the bat in the strike zone. On the 2-0 pitch and the 3-0 pitch, because he knew, man, I'm already in Mitch Williams' head. So Ricky Henderson, on the surface, you're not going to like what you've seen, but if you didn't live it, let me please confirm for you, he was incredible. He was extremely important for the 1993 repeat champion, Toronto Blue Jays. How about the trade deadline back in 1989? This is a really good one as well. This is the, and very much under the good category. Toronto Blue Jays trade deadline in 1989. They've just moved into the, uh, I was about to say Rogers Center. My goodness. They've just moved into the Sky Dome. 52 and 53. So they're under 500. Now in these days, there was no central. It was American League East, American League West. And in these days, that 52 and 53, that would have put the Blue Jays in second last place, mere games out of last place in the West. You know how these days it's insane. The American League East is just unbelievable and everybody else reeks. Well, it was quite the opposite in the, in the late eighties. The Blue Jays, one game, one game under 500, were in second place, three games behind the Baltimore Orioles. They acquire Mookie Wilson from the New York Mets for lefty Jeff Musselman at the trade deadline. Now, part of this was the team needed a spark, and really the reason they, they chose the spark to be Mookie Wilson is because he could play right field, and Junior Felix had just got injured at Yankee Stadium a couple days earlier. Now, Mookie Wilson started very poorly at the plate. 
he was an injection as far as a spirit because he just had that huge smile all the time and, and, and infectious energy. But I, I want to say six for 40. I think it was literally six for 40 start that, that he got off to at the plate, just terrible at the plate. But then the Blue Jays schedule, they started to play all the American League East foes. He smashed Boston. He smashed was the Yankees and Baltimore, I think, right after. Like, Moogie Wilson caught fire. He would rally. He would lead. He would spark the Blue Jays to a huge finish. Remember, that that's 52 and 53 when they acquire Mookie Wilson. The rest of the way after trading and acquiring Mookie Wilson, 37 and 20. 37 and 20. They would catch Baltimore and they would win the AL East. Trade deadline in 1989. This goes under the good category. Now, it didn't work out as well as I really hope, to be totally honest with you, but the Seattle Mariners had Jose Cruz Jr. He was the he was the pre, the previous season, he was the rookie of the year. And the, the Seattle Mariners were in first place. Now their bullpen was deplorable. They, they had the worst bullpen in baseball. They were blowing saves left, right, and center. They kept being crystal clear. I mean, having press releases and interviews, you name it. They, I mean, the, we are not even answering the call. We're not even answering the phone if you're calling about Jose Cruz Jr. There's no trade to be made for Jose Cruz Jr. Completely off limits. The week leading up to the trade deadline, with about a week left before the trade deadline, Seattle had a th- like a like a three and a half, four game lead. By the time you know the the couple days, one day, the, the night before, I should say, the trade deadline, their bullpen had blown a bunch of games again that week. They had now had a half game lead, and all of a sudden, there was the news on the trade deadline breaking that the Blue Jays had traded a pair of relievers, lefty Paul Spaljarek, righty Mike Timlin, to Seattle for Jose Cruz Jr. Cruz Jr. was not available. It's just incredible. The Mariners were crystal clear on that. All of a sudden, he becomes a Blue Jay. Now, he went on to be a good Blue Jay. I thought he was going to be a great Blue Jay, but it's still just an incredible, if you're around at this time, if, if you take your mind's eye back, I mean, other GMs, as part of their their uh, press conferences, the post-trade de- deadline press conferences, where they're giving the state of, of their team, you know, why did they make this move? Why didn't other moves materialize? Things like that. General managers were going out of their way to say, listen, the Seattle Mariners wouldn't even answer our call. They were crystal clear that Jose Cruz Jr. wasn't available because all the GMs throughout the league had to answer from the press and from the fan base. What, Jose Cruz Jr. is going to be a star. You didn't have a better package than Paul Spaljarek and Mike Timlin. You, you couldn't have gotten you couldn't have gone and gotten Jose Cruz Jr. You couldn't have put something better together than that. Are you kidding me? So all the other GMs, I've never seen that before or since. All the other GMs had to be like, uh-uh, this is not on us. The Seattle Mariners made it clear this guy was not available. This is on them. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then finally, last one we'll look at in the good category, and this one was 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 extremely good. 2009 trade de- deadline, J.P. Ricciardi is the uh, general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He trades Scott Rowland to the Cincinnati Reds. He really wanted Zach Stewart uh, in the deal, ends up getting Zach Stewart and Josh Reneke. And for some reason to this day, I don't know, I don't get it, I, I don't know why, but um, we thank them as the Cincinnati Reds made that trade, Scott Rowland for Zach Stewart and Josh Reineke, and the Cincinnati Reds insisted that the Toronto Blue Jays also take back Edwin Encarnacion. <laughs> yeah, that's how he became a Blue Jay, from the Reds' insistence on it. Did things work out with Edwin and the Blue Jay? My goodness, I, I often wondered if other fan bases really knew or understood, because they don't pay attention to the Blue Jays, right? So if they really knew and understood how fun it is to have Edwin Encarnacion on your team. I loved Edwin Encarnacion as a Toronto Blue Jay. And you say, did it work out? Well, I mean, he's a three-time All-Star for the Blue Jays. 239 home runs for the Blue Jays. Yeah, 239 times he he took that parrot for a stroll around the base, as Edwin did. 679 RBIs, my goodness. Spent parts of eight seasons with the Toronto Blue Jays. 878 OPS. Edwin, right? He was awesome. Edwin was awesome. 
Now, that's a lot of good. Kudos to the Toronto Blue Jays. We've seen a lot of good at the trade deadline. Were there some bad and some ugly? Indeed. Let's get into some of the bad. 2011, Aaron Hill and John McDonald traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks for second baseman Kelly Johnson. Now, this particular trade, Kelly Johnson, I mean, you would hope he had some upside there. This, this really... I personally did not like this trade. That's why I have this in the bad category. I mean, yeah, Aaron Hill was coming off of two se- his previous two seasons. He combined for 62 home runs. And Johnny Mack was an absolute fan favorite. And the 2011 Blue Jays, they were 81 and 81. And for the fourth straight season, they finished in fourth place in the division. I mean, Hill and John McDonald were pretty much all there was to cheer for. So I didn't get the trade, didn't like the trade. I didn't necessarily even agree at the time that Kelly Johnson had this upside that the Blue Jays apparently thought that he had. Uh, Kelly Johnson would spend two seasons as the Blue Jays, uh, mostly dealt with injuries. He missed, a, he missed a ton of time. In those two seasons, he would total 19 home runs. So this big booming bat that we were told was coming did not come for the Toronto Blue Jays. And Aaron Hill went on to some good seasons with Arizona. And like I said, John McDonald, I mean, that's fan favorite. That's fan favorite, John McDonald. How about uh, under the bad category as well in 2014? So just before the 15 and 16 playoff teams, the Blue Jays acquired Danny Valencia for from Kansas City. They traded Eric Kratz and Liam Hendricks. Oh, boy. Valencia was seemingly doing well for the Blue Jays, but he was put on waivers uh, at that. And then the trade made it, it, by, by that time, he'd been reduced pretty much to just a, a bat off of the bench to face lefties. Ironic. That's what the Blue Jays are looking for right now, right? Ironic. And also ironic that wouldn't the Jays love another amazing back of the bullpen arm? Well, that's Liam Hendricks. That's Liam Hendricks. Imagine all these years, Liam Hendricks could have been a Toronto Blue Jay. The whole trajectory of the organization might have been different to be totally, totally honest with you. Finally, under the bad category, 1995, David Cohn. We're back to David Cohn. He was a Blue Jay again. The strike from 94 was over. Now, even though it was a shortened season, David Cohn won the Cy Young in that strike shortened season. He's back with the Blue Jays, but the Blue Jays trade him at the trade deadline to the New York Yankees for Marty Jansen. Marty Jansen would would, uh, would spend parts of two seasons on the big league level, both with the Blue Jays. He was a career six and seven with an ERA of 6.39. David Cohn would go 74 and 51 for the rest of his career. So he still had tons in the tank and he'd finish top six in Cy Young voting a couple times for the New York Yankees. He'd be an all-star a couple times for the New York Yankees. So why trading David Cohn in division to New York? He goes on to be really good for them. And the Blue Jays ended up with, with Marty Jansen, six and seven with a career 6.39 ERA. That one might perhaps could even go in the ugly category. What do we have in the ugly category? 2006, Blue Jays acquired Jeremy Accardo for Vinny Chalk and and, and Shea Hillenbrand. Now, Accardo, that was with Arizona. Accardo would, uh, in a couple seasons later, well, you know what, actually, no, the next season, 2007, he would uh, he would have 35 save opportunities and convert 30 of them. He went 30 for 35 saves the next season for the Blue Jays. So they did get one good season out of Accardo. But why do I have it in the ugly category? Well, Shea Hillenbrand was hitting just under 300 for the Toronto Blue Jays. He was their only position player that represented them at the All-Star game that season. Roy Halladay was there as a pitcher, but Shea Hillenbrand as a player. And the only reason the Blue Jays had to trade him was because he fought with, 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 uh, with, uh, I was supposed to say John Schneider. My gosh, uh, John Gibbons, a bigger part. And because he fought with John Gibbons and I don't mean an argument. I mean, fought, I mean, fought, came to fisticuffs. He was so upset with John Gibbons, Shea Hillenbrand was, that on the whiteboard as you're walking into the clubhouse, and this is visible if you're just walking by, so media, people walking by that happen to be, this is visible. He wrote, um, the ship is sinking, 
play for yourself. John Gibbons saw that on his way into the dug, on his way in, in, in there to the clubhouse. Oh boy, it came to fisticuffs, and uh, and Shea Hillenbrand had to be traded. My good, I mean, but that's ugly, right? You have to trade one of your better players because they got in a fist fight with the manager. That ain't great. That ain't great. And finally, closing out the good, bad, and the ugly of Toronto Blue Jay trade deadlines of the past. It's the year 2000. We're happy because Y2K didn't happen. Like, it wasn't nearly as bad as, as some feared uh, that, that it might be. But at the trade deadline in the year 2000, the Toronto Blue Jays acquire Esteban Loiza in exchange for Michael Young. Now, Michael Young was a, a, a prospect at this point. He was in the minors. But Esteban Loiza would total 25 wins and 28 losses with an ERA of 4.98 for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, under 500, ERA just under 5. Whereas Michael Young, if you're wondering, was it that Michael Young, Texas Rangers Michael Young? Yes, yes, that Michael Young, the one who spent 13 seasons on the big league level and was a career 301 hitter and played every infield position, by the way. Think of the flexibility and the offense that Michael Young should have been bringing to the Toronto Blue Jays all those years. Instead, they get 25 and 28 with an ERA of 4.98 from Esteban Loaiza. Oh, boy. That's my good, bad, and the ugly. What did you think in there? Are there any that, that you disagreed with, with the category I had them in? Are there any other trades that meant that, that you want to bring up as well? Remember, it's got to be trade deadline. That's what we're talking about here. But the, I mean, we, we could have talked about 1985. The Blue Jays acquired veteran first baseman and DHs, Al Oliver and Cliff Johnson. And, and that really helped the drive for 85. That really helped the 1985 Blue Jays win the, uh, the American League East for the first time in franchise history. Uh, I loved picking up Mike Flanagan in 1987. Heck, I, we could have gone into 1991 picking up Candy Maldonado at the trade deadline. Candy Maldonado, for my money, is, is an underrated member of that 92 Blue Jay World Series team. He was their everyday left fielder. Uh, he hit 272 that season for the Blue Jays, 20 home runs as well. He was picked up at the 91 trade deadline. Did, did I miss him? Should I have had him uh, somewhere in there? Or is there another trade altogether that you would have included in the good, the bad, or the ugly? That's a wrap for this Throwback Thursday. Join tomorrow. Be sure. I'm super excited. A lot of us loved the first time Jay Jackson was on the Locked On Blue Jay podcast. Tomorrow he's back on again. We're going to be talking about um, his performances as a Blue Jay recently, talking about the Blue Jays in general, and can't wait to get Jay Jackson's insight as we're going to talk about what's it like for major league uh, ball players around this time of the season. What's it like for MLBers at the trade deadline? Go Jays, go. For now, keep it locked on the Locked On Podcast Network and check out Sully hosting Locked On MLB, and we'll talk tomorrow.